Nice to see you. It was a lovely meal tonight. And fellowship. Yes. Yeah. I've said it all along. You really, as a congregation, have the gift of breaking bread together. No question about it. No one's starving around here. Put that in the bulletin. <laughs> yes, that's right. Well, we're in James chapter 3, making our way through the book of James. Uh, this evening, the title of the message is Wise or Unwise? That is the question. Wise or Unwise? That is the question. James, as you know all along, his theme is behaving like you believe. That your character reflects your confession of faith. Um, it's putting shoe leather on what you believe. It's not just about words. It's about how we live our faith in a, in a biblical way. I got some fans up here. Is there any air going tonight, or is that our air? I can feel it tonight. That's the air. We have air conditioning. Well, you know what? Where's my uh, little uh, I love those clickers. It's so powerful. It says F. Is everyone else good? No, no, no. I don't know. I think I'm totally cool breeze right here. I can take this off. This is the one that I'm dealing with right here. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm good. I feel yeah, very good. At least we don't have to deal with that hot weather anymore, right? <laughs> so tonight, we're going to see, James is going to give us a test. We're going to be tested tonight. We're going to do a self-evaluation. That's what he's doing for his readers. His readers, as you know, are thousands and thousands of Jews who have been dispersed because of persecution, uh, displacement, taken off to exile, and they're away from their homeland. And they are Christians, they do believe that Jesus is the Messiah now, but they're going through a lot of suffering and persecution, and they're quite discouraged, and also getting a little sloppy with their faith. Um, we know that because this whole book is focused by James, who was the half-brother of Jesus. Half-brother of Jesus. James is writing section after section after section, idea after idea after idea, about areas that they were struggling in. We saw in chapter 1, they were struggling with the whole idea of trial. And why would the Lord allow trials in our life? Why is he putting us through this hard time in our life? And then he wrote to them, with the right biblical perspective, trials are sent not to be your enemies, but to be your friends, to strengthen you in your faith. Okay. Then they were struggling with temptation, and they were blaming God for their sin and their temptation and yielding to sin. And James says, stop it. God doesn't tempt any man, nor will he be tempted by evil, but you're only tempted when you're dragged away by your own lust and desire. So stop thinking that way. Okay? And then they were thinking, well, just knowing the scripture is good enough. Then he said, I'm sorry, friends, it's not about knowing the scripture, it's about doing the scripture. Otherwise, you're a self-deceived Bible reader. If you don't live out what you read, then you're self-deceived. Okay? And then we went on to uh, favoritism. What they were doing was they were going to their temple and going to their church or their sanctuary, and they put a real high premium on people that would visit the synagogue that were well-to-do. They were all about status. And when they found someone came into their synagogue or temple 
that obviously was a person of means. They could tell by their clothes and by all their jewelry and maybe their name in the community. They would give more attention to the well-to-do and hardly any attention to those who were poor. So James really nailed them on that one, called them hypocrites essentially, and said, you know, my elder brother focused. If you knew my elder brother, the Lord Jesus, you would have a heart for the poor. And then, what was the last one we did? Oh, we talked last time about uh, taming the tongue. That was one we hopefully will never forget. We talked about that the tongue being the strongest muscle in the body, two ounces of mucous membrane that can set forests on fires and kill reputations. So he says, if you're really believers, that's not the way you use your tongue. Because, he said, out of the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. Brothers, it must not be. And then, of course, he said, no man can perfectly tame the tongue. We already know all that. But the goal is, and of course, Jesus put it the strongest, out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. So the words that come out of our mouth reflect the spiritual condition of our heart. Be it cursing, be it gossip, be it lying, be it slander. Our heart is a mirror to our spiritual condition. And if that doesn't convict you, nothing will. And then tonight, He's talking about the difference between heavenly wisdom that God gives us and earthly wisdom that we get down here, and they are nothing alike. So let's pray and ask the Lord for wisdom. Lord, would you speak to our heart tonight? All along, many of us have been a little uncomfortable with James's approach. There is no coddling here. There is no fluffy doctrine. This is all straight to the heart, truth, and expectation that is laid out for us as believers to behave and live in the way that Christ did. We know that we can't do it perfectly. But Lord, you give us a desire to want it, and then you give us the grace to do it. So we look to you tonight and ask that you'll speak to us very, very clearly about wisdom. And so James chapter 3, verse 13, he begins his test with a question. He says, who is wise among you? Now, as we go through this, this was another very convicting lesson for me to take because it revealed the areas I need to grow in, big time, spiritually. But who is wise among you? And of course, his next phrase is, let him show it by his good life and by his deeds done in humility. I'm going to read that again because I want you to comment on it. Tell me what's your take on that? Another way to say it. Who is wise among you? In other words, who is the man and woman of wisdom? They show wisdom in their life. Well, it's the person who shows it by his good life, by his deeds done, his actions, and humility. How would you rephrase that in your own words? Okay, so the wise person has good works, biblical behavior, love for his fellow man without looking for rewards in return. Because if we look for rewards in return, our motives aren't good, which makes our actions bad. You with me? Anyone else? Okay, so a wise man or woman lives out his behavior 
a good life with humility for God's sake, not for our glory. For God's sake, not our glory. Anyone else? Wisdom doesn't come from a book. I mean, you can't just be knowledgeable. Intellectually smart. Yeah. Comes from experience. Let me give you an illustration while you've brought that up. Let's take, for example, someone has, who is very, very bright naturally, who has gone to higher education, has gone to college, gone to university, and gets a master's degree or a PhD in any discipline that he wanted to get in. Very, very high Q, very, very brilliant. He couldn't be any smarter and he couldn't be any more education, educated, and yet he's a pretty relatively young professional. He's got plaques all over his office wall and he's at the top of a high rise, an executive building. He's at the very last floor, the top. Do you know if there's any significance about that? Did you know? What's that? What? He's trying to put himself above everybody else. Well, actually, the, the top floor. Well, the only place goes down. But the top floor is actually a status symbol. Yes. For those executives in the community, any community, the higher the floor, the higher your status. They never put the executive uh, officer or the owner on the bottom floor. He's always on the top floor. I remember my son, who's in finance, was in a building, um, I think it was Morgan Stanley or something like that, and his office, not his office, but the Morgan Stanley office in that particular building was on the 12th floor. And I go, how do you rate, son? How'd you get way up here? But it was the 12th floor, meaning that that organization had status in that building. Okay. So let's, what's that? Yes, in case of an earthquake or something like that. That's right, that's right. And that's wisdom too. So here's this guy. PhD, top floor, high IQ, brilliant beyond words, multi-millionaire, very, very charming at work, well-dressed, competent in his field. Does he have any common sense? That's my next statement. Did he have any common sense? That's right. So on paper, on paper, he's, I suppose, to be admired by some book smart on paper. However, at home he's a monster. He lives a double life with double standards. He's entitled. He continually reminds his wife that she could never make it without him. Never make it without him. And that's, by the way, your first invitation to consider separation at least. That's called abuse. Extreme abuse. Um, takes no accountability for his behavior. Because he lives above the law. With my education and my wealth, he says. <laughs> Are you ready to grab your lip? Uh, he is verbally abusive. But as soon as he walks through the church of Butte Creek Baptist. Now you don't have anybody like that here. But if he were to come here. I'd show him the door of the church. <laughs> You'd show him the right foot of fellowship. As right. soon as he rides into that walkway there, that foyer there. 
His Bible looks never touched and probably isn't. Black leather. And he just schmoozes everybody. But he's a monster. Because he lives with worldly wisdom and not the wisdom of God. That's kind of what we're going to talk about this morning. And so we want to kind of rate where we're at on the scale. So first of all, James says, he gives us an indication of what godly wisdom is, chapter 3, verse 14. Let him show it, this wisdom and understanding, we're talking about wisdom, to know the Lord and His will, understanding, to understand people, God's ways, circumstances in life. He has to show that by His good behavior and his gentleness. Good behavior and deeds done in humility. Another way to say that is gentleness or meekness. So here's a person who lives with the wisdom of God. He's obedient to the scriptures, not perfectly, but carefully and convictingly when he doesn't or when she doesn't and goes to the Lord with it. But all in all, his only standard of life, her only standard of life is God's Word, amen? This is the compass. This is our standard and our compass. You want to know how to make a decision, or what to do, or whom to marry, or how to deal with conflict, or how to forgive. There is no other standard but this. Ultimately. There's a lot of books written on it, but this is the ultimate, yeah? Because this is eternal. This never dies and it's alive. And so we know, first of all, that he's a person who has good behavior. Well, we can't have good behavior unless we live in obedience to the Scripture. Then he says that um, our belief matches our behavior. He implies that again. And it's almost like what he's giving his listeners or his readers is basically a DEQ check. You know what a DEQ check is? When you take your vehicle, I did it last week, to the emissions, the governmental emissions, whatever you call it, to make you get out of the car, Especially if your car is just a little bit newer. I think they don't do it for any cars 20 years or older. So if you want to call that newer, they make you get out of the car. They put a plug into a machine. It's in the car, isn't it? The, the plug in our car. And they take their plug and put it in our car. And then you just let the engine rip. And you can see the monitor doing this and doing that to determine the purity of the emissions. Will it create a smog problem? Will it cause any health issues? James is plugging into our life to check out the purity of our wise life. To see if it's tainted. Or to see what we need to do to be more in line with God's Word. That's just a good challenge. So we're all getting plugged in tonight. We're getting plugged in to be tested in terms of the validity and the strength of our faith. Okay? So he says, first of all, the wise man or woman is one who has good, godly behavior. Overall, not perfect. Good and godly behavior. And when it is imperfect, which happens daily, we just ask the Lord to help us or to cleanse us and forgive us. You know he's so gracious. We're our worst enemy. He lays nothing on us but grace and conviction when we need it, and then he lifts it upon repentance. It's like a little two-year-old child or a one-year-old child learning how to walk 
They take their first steps in the first 12 months, 13. My son was a slow starter, one of my sons, 16 months. And then, you know, the more confident they get, the more destructive they get, of course. And then eventually, when they start walking on their own, their little diapers waddling along, and then they fall, and they start crying, a parent, a good, healthy parent, who's balanced, doesn't spank the child for falling, but kisses the child when they fall, and brushes off his body, puts him on his shoulders, and says, let's just get up and do it again. That's how the Lord walks with us. He never condemns us for falling. And he's not even concerned with our past. He's more concerned about where we're going, not where we've come from. Praise his precious name forever. Good behavior. But then he says something else. He's not only known by godly traits or biblical manners or good behavior. He's known by his humility. Now, I might have said this last week, I, a, a couple weeks back. Jesus only referred to his character one time in the scriptures. He only spoke of his character one time. He spoke of his mission many times. I'm here to save the lost. I'm here to pay a ransom for many because of my sins. I'm here to obey the Father. He tells us what his mission is, but he only speaks one time of who he is in his character. And does anybody know what that is? What he said? He said, I want you to learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. I'm gentle. Meekness, though, doesn't mean weakness. It actually comes from a term used, used for a team of horses that are powerful. I think we talked last week. I mean, there's all different sizes of horses. I, I mean, I, I'm from San Francisco. I don't know. But I'm assuming a, a, a thousand pounds or what? How much does a big horse weigh? 1,500. 1,500. So here's a team of four horses. <clears throat> so we're looking at 6,000 horsepower, pounds of horsepower. 6,000. And each one of them has a little bit about that big. We read about this last time, about the tongue, how it's small. And it can do a lot of damage. He said a bit is small, but it can control a mighty big beast. Okay? So when he talks about meekness, he's talking about a team of horses that are so powerful, they can probably run through a wall, but at the slightest, that power is under control. So Jesus was immensely powerful, but it was power under control. Power under control. So we can walk in humility, that doesn't mean we're weak. Jesus said, I'm gentle. James says, God's wisdom is not about muscular strength. His wisdom's not about pumping iron. His wisdom is not being someone that can do a triathlon, although there's nothing wrong with doing it if you can. His wisdom is strong and mighty, but under control and done with humility. So here's a classic picture. Towards the last few days of the Lord's life, he's with his disciples and he goes into the temple. And he sees in the temple, which he refers to as God's house, people making money off of the poor. 
selling doves, selling animals, because right around the corner it's Passover. That's when animal sacrifices are made. And so Jesus walks into this open court. The court's pretty much still there. It's an open court in the city of Jerusalem. And they're making money off these animals, and they're hiking up the prices and ripping people off. Sounds pretty much like today, and another name that was mentioned earlier, but I won't mention it again. And now I'm distracted. And uh, so the Bible says that Jesus walked into the temple, saw what was happening. He did this a couple times. And he stood there and he was very, very angry. This is the classic example of having power under control or anger under control. Jesus got angry. Jesus was furious, but it was under control. Therefore, it was not sin. Now, this is, I, I got to preach a sermon on this one time. How many? Four words. He's in the temple. He's looking around. His pressure's rising. He's boiling with anger. And yet, it says that Jesus looked around and stood there and made a whip. You talk about power under control. He stood there, found some leather strips for sale somewhere. And he slowly and methodically weaved a whip that he was going to use. That is power under control. And so that's what James is calling for. Someone who's wise follows God's word in obedience and has his could we call it temper? Could we call it anger? Could we call it undisciplined? Could we call it immorality, passion out of control? Has his life, for the most part, in check, in control. That's the wise man. Not always reacting. Like I do when I'm driving up 62 and someone cuts me off. I'm learning how to go and not tailgate or go 80 past him in a 45. It's unwise to do that. It's unchristlike to do that. Yes? Boy, John, I wish we could tell the story you told us earlier. Where are you, John? He stepped out. He stepped out. Maybe I'll just talk about John for a little bit. <laughs> That's not wise either. That's not wise either. Ask John about it now. So this is the wise person. He gives a couple of samplings, and then we get into the unwise, and he ends off back on the wise characteristics. Let's look at 14 and 15. Chapter 3, 14 and 15. Um, but, but, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast of it or you deny the truth. Now, this is the message translation. I'm going to read it. He makes it a lot simpler. He uh, says in the first few verses, do you want to be counted wise? To build a reputation for wisdom, here's what you do. Live well, live wisely, live humbly. It's not the way you live, not the way you talk that counts. It's, excuse me, it's the way you live, not the way you talk that counts. Mean-spirited ambition or drive mean-spirited 
actions or drive or ambition or even passion isn't wisdom. Boasting that you are wise isn't wisdom. And twisting the truth to make yourself sound wise isn't wisdom. It's the furthest thing from the wisdom. A little clearer. So James calls this those of us, or anybody, that harbors. Bitter wisdom. What does harbors mean? Holds it. I thought of a harbor. Where you pull a little boat into the harbor. It's a place where you rest. It could be a place where you live. It's a place where you set anchor. You can be concealed, too, in a harbor. That's right. That way. It's also for protection. It's also for protection in a positive sense. A place of refuge in a positive sense. In a negative sense, if you harbor bitter envy, what would you say? Where you're holding on to bitterness about what you don't have. Or, did you have your hand? No. What you don't have, or maybe even what someone else has. That's not wisdom. It is an anchored bitterness in our soul because we want more and can't get it. Also, boats that are anchored in the harbor, unless the work is done to unanchor them, don't go anywhere. We go nowhere spiritually with this kind of wisdom that is envious of other people or what they have or any kind of bitterness in our own. Very much. We go nowhere. Now Ephesians 4 says... Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Or what? Anybody know this? Or you give the devil a foothold. I'm going to give you a little illustration. Okay. Let's say that you're playing football um, or soccer, whatever. Football is better for this illustration. And maybe it's flag football. You're watching your teenagers, your kids, you know, some, some guys still play it in their 40s and 50s. Not too much after that. And you've got the ball, and you're ready to run, but someone has grabbed onto your foot. And you try to shake it, shake it, shake it. James says, do not let the sun go down on your, your anger, which is a lack of wisdom. Or you give the devil a foothold, meaning your spiritual progress stops. Right there. Right there. Until you ask the Lord for forgiveness, so on and so forth. So to have bitter envy is to be stuck. In your faith. Amen? Very stuck. Okay. Uh, and it has to do with someone either taking what we have or wanting what we don't have. Selfish ambition means mean spirited. People are out for number one. Climbing over other people to get what they want. I mean, and this can be as, sim sim as simple as, let's say there's a clinic and there's five nurses that work together. And every year, they lay out the calendar for the summer and they get to pick and choose which weeks they want off. And the same year, a nurse... The same one every year. Excuse me. 
picks the best dates and will climb over the other nurses to get it. That's called selfishness. In a way, it's mean-spirited because there's no care for anyone else. I mean, there's a thousand illustrations we can get. James' point is this is very, very unwise and it's not becoming of a believer. This gets a little deeper as we go along, so we gotta like hold on to your chairs. Then he talks about the origin of the unwise, where that kind of wisdom comes from. So just track with me. Let's read uh, verse 15 and 16. Speak up if you can at any time. You're one group that's never overly shy to do that. <laughs> no. He says, verse 14 again, but if you harbor bitter envy and self-ambition in your hearts, oh, do not boast about it and deny the truth. Like there's nothing to boast about. Whether it's your accomplishments, how do you boast about your greed? Verse 15. A lot of fun. <laughs> Can't wait to meet your friend. <laughs> okay, verse 15. Such wisdom that we're talking about, such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. People that live with that mentality, and many of us came from that mentality before Christ. It was all about our needs. It was all about our wants. It was all about me. So earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil, he says that wisdom comes from earthly standards, earthly motives, attitudes, and methods. Now does anybody have an example of someone that lives in this kind of wisdom. I don't want names or addresses, but an example of an earthly motive, an earthly attitude, and an earthly standard. What does that look like? Politics. An apologist? Politics. Oh, politics, all over the place. Someone else. Oh, of course, of course. This is all we knew before we came to Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like my ex-wife, actually. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting really personal tonight, people. Uh, yeah. Long time ago, I had a young man that I was working with. He was a baby Christian. He was relatively young, and his, and his wife divorced him. There was definitely issues there. And, uh, you know, I tried to tell him, uh, now, you're, you're going to be in for a struggle here because, you know, you are a believer, right? And he goes, oh, yeah, I, I love the Lord Jesus. I go, okay. Well, I just want to lay some things out for you. Um, you just really need to draw on his grace and strength because... Uh, until the Lord brings a woman in your life and you meet at the altar as a Christian, you need to be a celibate. Celibate. He said, what? I said, you need to be a celibate. You need to be a celibate. Well, God gave me these passions. He didn't, he's not cruel. He wouldn't give me these sexual passions without a place to use them. I go, I don't know what God you're talking to, but that's not the God I read about in the Scriptures. You need to live, live a life. We're told that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says that's why we don't want to join them with an immoral woman. Because our body belongs to Jesus. Did you know that? We're his temple. He lives inside of us. 
And so therefore, Paul says, so don't join them with a prostitute. So I said, you know, once again, I don't know where you're coming from, but if you really want to follow the Lord, you know the word, you need to wait on the Lord. He just wouldn't have it. Okay, now there was a Christian, baby Christian, living with high-end worldly carnal standards. Now I'm not claiming that we don't have lustful thoughts. I'm not claiming that there's not a struggle. I'm not claiming that ever. I'm talking about taking it to the next level. One of my pastors, he's still my mentor of uh, well, 47 years. He lives in the valley now, he's a retired pastor. And I remember when I was a young Christian, I've said this before, I said, I said Pastor Stan, I, I just, my mind is, I mean, I've got bad thoughts, and you know, I was a baby Christian, and I was 23, and my mind's got bad thoughts, and I feel horrible. I feel horrible. He said, you love the Lord? Of course. Do you know how much the Lord loves you? I, I think so. Well, he loves you a lot more than you think he does. And he said, Bill, there's nothing wrong with temptation. It's what you do with the temptation. Temptation is not sin. Yielding to temptation is sin. And so he said, remember this always. You can't keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from making nests in your hair. Some of the best advice I've ever got. In other words, don't tell me you can't control your thoughts. Or your mouth. And the illustration I use for that is being in a disagreement with a family member and you're going at it and it ba 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 and the telephone rings and you go, hello? <laughs> oh, church was awesome this morning. <laughs> you can just stamp hypocrite all over that kitchen. Right there. So don't tell me we can't control ourselves with the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? Uh, James goes on to say, this wisdom is earthly and it's also naturally. In other words, it is completely fleshly and carnal. Nothing spiritual about it. It is tethered to the mindset of this world. And I've told you many times, I'll ask you again because not everybody was here. What does chili con carne mean? Chili with no meat. Carne is flesh. I mean, chili with no beans. No beans. Okay. Chili. I thought carne was meat. Okay. Chili con carne. That means chili with meat only, which means no beans. I get it. I get it after a while. My wife's been telling me for 20 years, when you get home, you take your keychain and you put it on that hook. And I finally got it a couple months back. I go, honey, I got it. I got it. <laughs> chili without beans. So chili con carne, chili with meat, chili with flesh, Christian con carne, is Christian with flesh that lives with flesh, not in the spirit. I'll never forget that Chuck Smidall had a sermon title one time called Christian Concarnate. Out of the book of Corinthians, perfect. Because Paul called the, the church of Corinth, Corinth a bunch of baby, carnal babies that are still on milk. He's a bunch of carnal babies. You're still feeding on milk instead of meat of the word. You are Christian Concarnate. Okay, so the natural wisdom is fleshly. It's carne. Nothing spiritual about it. We don't pray if we need to make a decision. We just make a decision based on how we feel. 
or what we want. Now, God does work through our common sense sometimes, and sometimes he does want us to lean on our common sense and how we feel about a matter. Because he gave us the brain to have it. So that's possible too, common sense. Then he says, it's earthly, it's unspiritual, this wisdom, and of the devil. That is, it's demonic in nature, resembling the mindset of Satan. Now keep in mind, he's talking to believers. 16 times in this book, he says, my brothers and sisters. He's talking to believers. And so, you know, what would be a, de a demonic type of, or an evil type of behavior that a Christian could do? What do you think? Lying. You know, Satan's name is Father of Lies. Cheating. Cheating. Stealing, big time. Slandering. Do you know that Satan's name also means slanderer? These are devilish behaviors. And sometimes we slip into one of them now and then, and hopefully we're grossly convicted, hopefully. But that's what James is saying to these people out there. You need the right kind of wisdom. You came to Christ. You've been converted to the Lord Jesus. We need to get back on track and live in lives that are full of the wisdom of the Word and our Lord and Savior and break the trend or break the pattern of the way we think and speak and act. We can get in funky places sometimes as Christians. We really can. And James is saying, uh-uh. Represent my brother. Show your faith by your deeds. Then he goes on. Um, the results of this, let's look at verse 16. The results of this earthly, devilish kind of wisdom. Let me find it real quick. For where you have envy and selfish... Oh, I passed that. The results are verse 17. I've got to look small print. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is pure and so on and so forth. What he's saying is, oh, there you will find, if you live this way, there you will find disorder and e every evil practice. And so I was, I, as I was preparing for this, I was going like, Lord, how do we, how do we whittle this down to your wisdom versus earthly wisdom? Now think about this in terms of decisions you have to make. Huge choices that you have to make. Different directions that you have to go. Relationships that you have to cut off. Money that you have to report to the IRS. Whatever it might be. Carnal behavior with each other. Whatever it might be. I can tell you this. It seems to me that one of the leading distinguishes, distinguishing marks between godly wisdom and earthly wisdom is with godly wisdom there's total peace and no chaos or disorder. Yes? Verse 17 gives a description of godly wisdom. Go ahead, read. For the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. That is the definition. And I started with number one. When I think of wisdom in terms of your relationships, as you know, relationships get very difficult. Generally with family, in my case, generally with family that are not believers. They can get very difficult. Jesus said, if they hate me, they'll hate you. Mm -hmm. Period. There's a period at the end of the statement. If the world hates me, it will hate you. He also said, though, we also read in Proverbs, when a man pleases the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with them. So it's kind of both there. 
though fair. Our grace towards people. But I find that relationships can get pretty, pretty muddy. If you're seeking advice, financial advice, or if you're seeking marital advice, or if you're seeking professional advice, or any kind of advice, or wisdom, if you're just seeking knowledge and wisdom, if it's from the Lord, there will be order, peace, and no chaos with it. However, if you're getting wisdom that's not from the Lord and that's from below, there should be a sense, there should be a check in our spirit, in a very uneasy, like, we shouldn't proceed on this. Above all else, there shouldn't be any confusion. Shouldn't be any confusion. So those are, like, distinguishing marks to me. I'm looking for order and peace, and I'm avoiding confusion and chaos. Now, that doesn't mean, if we're in a complicated situation, we don't have to pray through and work through some confusion. Obviously. But though, what about you? That's my take. The wisdom of God brings order, peace, contentment. The wisdom of the world is confusing and chaotic with conflict. It doesn't, it doesn't release you of any conflict. It adds to your conflict. Anyone else, you got an opinion about this? That's just mine. Huh? Well, especially, I mean, now, okay, let's talk about drama for a minute. There's drama and there's drama. There's drama that comes from people like me that, like, are really emotional at times. Like, I have logic, but I'm definitely feeling-oriented first. I'm reactionary. Like the, the person I talked about in 62. So I do have a knee-jerk kind of thing about me. I know you don't believe it, but just ask my wife. <laughs> so I'm emotional. There's no secret that I'm emotional. Okay? So being emotional or being feeling-oriented or overly sensitive at times is a lot different than drama-drama. Drama-drama yes. is mean girl Mean girl gossip. I call it mean girl gossip. That's drama. Right? So you got the mean girl gossip drama. You have the personality, emotional, feeling-oriented drama. I'm going to say the mean girl gossip. gossip. Well, I guess I will call it, call it devilish. Because what good comes out of that? I'm not picking on mean girls. I'm just making a point. Okay, verse 17 and 18. This is what James is looking for. Our friend over here just read it, but this is what James is looking for. How is our life, what is our life to reflect in the area of wisdom? The wisdom that's from above. Uh, verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. I'll stop at each one. That's not only morally pure, like I tried to share with my friend who felt God gave him those sexual feelings. Why would he deny me from them? It is possible as a believer to be morally pure. Amen? Amen. <laughs> I just want to know if I'm in the right place tonight. Okay, it's possible. Doesn't mean you won't have lustful thoughts. Doesn't mean you won't have temptation. In one ear, out the other. No nest in the hair. And so, it's not only purity of mor the moral life, but the, the next one is even harder. These definitions I got from Swindoll. It's the purity of motives as well. Yeah. And that thing is all of us. All of us. I was thinking like honesty. Which I would, that would be a slash honesty. Yeah. 
purity of motives. Yeah. Now, I see that come into play mostly when we are tired of waiting on God, for example. We've been praying forever. Lord, would you provide this? Would you take this away? Would you give me a raise? Would you, you know, whatever it might be to make our life more comfortable. And, and, he, and, he, and he's slow. I've been waiting him to follow my watch ever since I've known him, and he refuses to do it. He's on a different time clock. We get tired of waiting, and what we can do, now I'm not just talking about me, what I have a tendency to do is maneuver. Kind of maneuver circumstances, and talk to certain people, and try to make it happen. Because if God's not going to make it happen, you know, maybe he needs my help. So I try to make it happen. So we go in my... And you can see how ridiculous that is. That's motives with an impure bent. So we're talking about pure motives all the way around. And Christians are so refreshing overall. My gosh. We apologize for even the slightest little things we've done. It is amazing how sincere believers are. Really. You know we're the only people on the planet, I think, that ask forgiveness for a hurt we caused that we didn't do on purpose. Someone in the world hurts your feelings and they didn't mean to, and you say, I'm really hurt, you know, an apologize, apology would be nice. They'd go, what are you talking about? That's your issue. I didn't mean to hurt you. You know what Christians do? That was not my intention. I'm very, very sorry I offended you. That's what believers do. That's wisdom. Then he says, wisdom, the wisdom from above um, is peace-loving. Okay? So they're not peacemakers per se. They're peace, or how do I say it? There's two different ways to say it. You have some believers, and I do the training on this actually, on resolving conflict. Some believers that hate conflict and they will do anything to keep the peace, even be dishonest. Like if someone says to you, well, have you really forgiven me? Absolutely I've forgiven you. But in their heart, not even close. That's dishonest. That's not a peacemaker. That's a, a peace user to get out of problems. But a true peacemaker goes through the middle of the battle to get to the peace. So if you're the type of person like I used to be, Oh man, I'm not going to engage with that and I don't want to say the wrong thing and I'm just going to just keep to myself and blah, 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 blah just so we keep the peace. That doesn't resolve issues. The only thing that resolves issue, issues is going through the battle to get to the other side of the peace. That's a true peacemaker in a biblical sense. Okay. Actively seeking this is what, this is what James is talking about. Actively seeking to remove all ill will and calm quarrels with everybody. Doesn't mean you're going to get it. But Paul says, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. But it doesn't mean you're going to get it. We have to do the work to try to get it and not stop short. Some people, I might as well tell you now, you already know, some people are worth pleasing and you will never get their forgiveness or approval. Ever! So I also don't think God needs, wants us to bang our head against a brick wall, either. But I think there needs, I think what James is saying, there needs to be sincere attempts to calm all matters of ill will. Now, the next thing he says, he's already said, he says, uh, 
First of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, uh, gentleness, another word, same thing, considerate, gentleness, tolerant, this is a big one, I got convicted on this one, tolerant with an inner sensitivity to other people that irritate you. Tolerant with inner sensitivity towards other people that irritate you. But you're not irritated by anybody. Not at Butte Creek Baptist. <laughs> I just had a thought with you. Okay. Number four. Um, pure, peaceable, considerate. Submissive means reasonable. So the wise man or woman is very reasonable. They're not close. They're not inflexible. Maybe open to the possibility that you're wrong. On a rare occasion. <laughs> no. Never. <laughs> you know, workable, flexible. Considering other people's viewpoints, maybe. The idea of being amenable and conciliatory. Full of mercy, wisdom, and good fruits. Now listen to this definition. Showing pity and compassion on someone even if it's their fault. So no more of, uh, you made your own bed, now lie in it. Why would I do good to you when you rip me off? You know, Jesus said, love your enemy. And do good to them who has taken advantage of you. That stuff I can't relate to, gotta come from heaven. That's not even natural for any of us. Lord's gonna call us to do it someday. You know how many people I've seen who have been abused mercilessly, let's say by their fathers, that happens with moms too, but by their fathers. And I'm talking mercilessly. And God calls them in the last months of his life to take care of that abusive father. You know how many times I've seen that? So let's not, let's not think that there won't be a time where the Lord's going to call us to do something that cuts against every fiber of our flesh for the sake of Jesus. Um, six, or the next one, this says, uh, impartial and sincere, um, which I believe is unwavering with your faith. You're not on and off. You're not hot and cold. A conviction is a conviction. It's always a conviction. If we have certain convictions, we don't adjust them to the temperature of the day. We're all in or we're not all in. It can't be just a conviction sometimes. What has the Lord checked us on before? Probably not going to change his mind. It's a conviction. We're consistent. Like if someone says to their friend, well, I'm going to ask so-and-so, you know, if they wouldn't mind doing this and that, and it's a little shady, they'll say, don't even, don't even waste your breath. They'll say no before you even done with the question. Mm -hmm. Why? Because they live out their convictions. People know who they are. And then the last one, he says, um, Oh, they're, they're very, very sincere. In other words, they're without hypocrisy. What they mean, they say, and what they say, they mean. You can take it to the bank. You can trust it. Their word is as good as their bond, like they used to say in the 50s and the 40s, and maybe even the 60s. Your word is as good as your bond. A handshake's enough. Don't ever try that these days. But when people look at our lives, they know who we are. We're not going to flip on them. With the Lord's grace, we're not going to flip on them. 
And then finally he says, verse 18, back to the peacemaker. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. And so James' final appeal is, Lord, help us to live a life of your wisdom. Not the standards of this old place that's going to melt away with fiery heat, according to Peter. It's going to burn away with fiery heat, you know, this globe. And then there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. But Lord, help us. Help us tonight. Let's pray. Tonight, Lord, different virtues, different colors of wisdom, different angles. All of us, in different ways, feel a touch convicted and uneasy because it's areas we've struggled in. We, you know us. You love us. You have our back. You shed your blood for us. There's nothing that you wouldn't help us do if we cried out to you. The bottom line, Lord, is we don't want to get sloppy with our faith and with our deep, deep, precious belief in you and your word. So will you use the truths of the scriptures tonight by the power of the Holy Spirit to just make us more like you in every level of our life, in the areas where we know we're weak, we're ashamed of at times. We pray that you would just shave down those rough edges by your Holy Spirit. We want to be like you. Bottom line, Lord, in our heart, under our flesh, we want to be more like you. And this we ask in your name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 We're going to talk about judging next week. That sounds like a fun subject, isn't it? Judging one another. Okay. No profiling. Yeah.